I think the proper question is, where y'all at? Where y'all at? <laughs> it's time for Beyond Higher Heights with Vanjie Williams, our host with all the juicy information that we need to know to improve our lives. How are you doing, Vanjie? I'm doing really well. How are you all doing? Excellent. Excellent. And uh, introduce our guest. Our guest is Reverend Reverend Wendy Hamilton. She is a wash of a new Washingtonian. Now let me tell you, she's not a she's not a from there, but she is a come there. But she is representing Howard University. She's representing the, our former candidate, uh, presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Um, Yang. Yang Gang. He's a gang gang. I mean, she's bringing a whole new flavor to Virginia because Virginia wasn't really hospitable to Mr. Yang. And we, but it wasn't just Virginia. And we've talked about this before, how, how we have the situation where people aren't doing what they need to do. And you can look at it from, from all three perspectives, yours, hers, and mine. And you can see where they at. Where are all the black people when it comes to politics? It doesn't make any sense. Where are the black people? We vote. So tonight's discussion is going to be really cool. Um, hearing, <laughs> hearing from a from a reverend and a host and a candidate. <sighs> Let's mix this together because we got to figure this this problem out today. Um, our lives depend on it. When you agree, we're gonna learn today. <laughs> uh, all right, good stuff, good stuff. So, uh, why do you think there is a lack of involvement of people of African descent in the American political process, Reverend Wendy? I know you came from a historical religious background. Uh, we'll forgive you for the Yang thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, thank you. It's good uh, night. Y'all have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh well. Uh, <laughs> we're also we're we're also going to forgive you for Howard University from this proud Hamptonian. <laughs> oh my lord! You put me on with somebody from Institute. Oh lord, have mercy. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I know that you have a very passionate understanding of how politics and religion have not really worked well within our community. What's your take on this? Well, I've got a couple of takes. First and foremost, let me say thank you, Vanji, um, for inviting me. And Seiko, thank you for, for having me on tonight to discuss this hot button topic, if you will, uh, in, encouraging uh, conversation and discourse around black participation in political movements. You know, I could I could speak from a you know from a collective experience, and certainly as you mentioned, yes, I was a part of the Andrew Yang presidential campaign. I was his director of spiritual and cultural outreach, and so my role in that campaign was engaging um, African Americans and people of color, um, particularly with his message, but you know by and large in the political process. And, and encouraging them to vote. But I wanna speak uh, uh, briefly to just kind of my own experience growing up and how that um, for me uh, shaped my, my view of politics early on. Uh, mm -hmm. As an African-American woman growing up in Ohio, I'm from Ohio originally, small town Ohio, so I'm a big Buckeye fan still. 
my family's still there. Um, politics was not necessarily something that was talked about, except maybe by the old folks at the holiday dinners, you know, or, or, or on, on Sunday evenings. And so us younger kids felt like that was grown folks talk. We didn't really get involved in it because we didn't really understand it. All we knew was that um, the, the old people fought for, for the right to vote. So they're going to go vote. And uh, according to them, if you were black, you got to vote Democratic. So that's, you know, that's all we knew. But there was never any any inspiration for me to get involved in, in the political process. It wasn't until well after I came to Howard University and ultimately settled here in D.C. that I became much more aware of the political process and felt like I could uh, become involved and, 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 and be a part of what was happening. Um, ultimately, graduating from Howard Seminary gave me an even, you know, deeper understanding of the relationship between politics and faith from a social justice perspective. My theology is rooted in, in, in social justice in this aspect, and it is uh, Christianity, it's a progressive Christianity, some might say, in that I am very much someone who, who believes in the uh, theology of looking out for the least of these and taking care of the oppressed and the widow and, and injustice. So I would, you know, I would say I'm, you know, sort of cut from the cloth of those early church leaders who were very much, in my opinion, um, involved in political processes and conversations. And even if you look back in the civil rights movement and you look back to the Dr. Martin Luther Kings and, 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 and all of the church, lots of the civil rights movements of the past, those organizational meetings started in the basement of churches. That's right. So if, if mm, church I push back on that, bringing the message, they were opening it up to making, creating a safe space then for those conversations to take place. You know, I, I've heard that all my life. My father's a pastor and I'm glad to know you came from Ohio. I'm a Buckeye as well. Um, originally from Brooklyn, New York, NY. Brooklyn is a blood type. And then we moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio. And so yeah, I grew up before Buckeye. I came to Howard. Yes. Yeah, I grew up Buckeye, but um, one of the things that <laughs> all right, I, that, one of the that things you get one foot back in my good graces. Go, go ahead. <laughs> After um, the answer, okay. Thing. <laughs> all right. One of the things that I think is important to note is when we talk about the church's role in the politics in our community. Uh, yes, many of those civil rights meetings and a lot of those early civil rights struggles happened in churches, but they also didn't happen in the majority of the churches. You know, uh, a lot of our churches have Dr. King on the wall, but his own church kicked him out the church because he was stirring up trouble, you know, and their church was the conservative, the full believing and, and many of their contemporaries felt the same way. So when we talk about the civil rights movement being involved and being grounded in the church, the truth is they were grounded in some of the churches. Mm -hmm. A lot of the churches had not, didn't want us to do anything with it. And it was the young people who, who, who decided that they were going to become involved mm -hmm. when a lot of the older parishioners sat back and said, we're just going to pray about it. So well, I, right. I, I, I always have wondered, you know, we really push that narrative and I don't think it's really the full story. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And when I say rooted in the churches, 
I'm not speaking about the church collectively. I'm speaking about the level of participation that we saw in that day versus today. So, you know, some of what you're saying um, is also playing out today in a sense that when you talk about the church and why you can't talk about the church collectively is that there's so many different interpretations, you know, of theology and of, of the role that, that, that the religious leaders should be playing um, in politics. You, you know, you're, you're going to have some churches that are, are strictly, you know, separation of church and state. Why are we talking about all that? And, and we don't want people in here. So you're, you're always going to have that. So what I'm suggesting is, you know, there was sort of, you know, churches who identified themselves as saying your, your, your message is welcome here. You can come here. It wasn't all of them because all of them did not want to be associated right. with what was happening. And I'm going to jump, I'm going to piggyback off of that from a historical point of view. So I'm going to give you an example. My family's from Virginia, South Carolina. Um, my husband's is from North Carolina, but many of my relatives were, were ministers or what have you. So the way the church used to be in the South was that was the only way we got news. And that was the only way we knew who the politicians were. Mm -hmm. So there were three things that even um, Representative Claiborne said this perfectly. He said there was three things that were under his daddy's pulpit. That was the Bible. Mm -hmm. That was his hymnal. And there was a notebook that lists everybody in the church, whether they were registered to vote, if they needed a ride to go vote, if they mm -hmm. had problems that when they needed to register, he knew what they were up to. And I'll tell you, as a candidate, you know, this is the Mason Disco line. I'm below it. And I found it really interesting that there was a 50-50 kind of a, of a feeling when it came to me speaking at the church because there were churches who were, who were, who were following the lead of their, their grandfathers and said, you got to come here. You got to talk to my people. They like you. They'll vote for you. They right. don't treat you. They're going to tell you. Mm -hmm. I've never been told no. But I can tell you, this is where the problem starts. So it's interesting. Seiko was right. If you look at northern churches, um, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a discussion. I mean, my grandfather's church in, in southeast D.C., it was no sweat for Mayor Barry to come through or Wilhelmina Rolock or someone to march through those doors at any given time. Mm -hmm. But let it be a Democratic meeting. Mm -hmm. God forbid it was a Republican meeting. Mm -hmm. If it was a political meeting, mm -hmm. it was one or two Black people in the room. Mm -hmm. And those one or two Black people didn't go back and tell their neighbors what was going on. They kept it in the house. They didn't say anything. They barely even told their children. We cannot go on like that. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is the time of our lives where our votes actually count towards our lives. You know, as a mother of six kids, I can tell you, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm going to say, let me, let me change that. I have seven children, technically. I have six daughters and I have an adopted son. Mm -hmm. And when I got my son into politics and he came from Canada back to live with us, um, he didn't think of politics as the way we thought that everyone else saw it. He thought of politics as a burden. 
I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter because I'm a black man. Well, mm -hmm. the first time he voted, it was for Obama. Mm -hmm. And he said a black man. So black people can actually run for office. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like one of those moments where, you know, there was a lot of black people in office. Why don't you know that? But it's up to us as parents, mm -hmm. as neighbors, as people who shop in the store. When I go into a store, when people used to laugh, I would walk into a grocery store. And I would say, hey, you registered to vote? No, ma'am. I don't know why. I said, well, because I'm a candidate on the ballot. Excuse me? And I'll give them my card. Mm -hmm. We want more people to vote by me being a black woman on the ballot than we had ever registered in the first district. But that was just a piece of it because I still couldn't get those black women, those black men, the teenagers to come to a committee meeting, a meet and greet. Hey, come to a function. Just ask questions because just showing up on election day isn't enough. You don't know enough about the candidates to show up on election day and not actually know why you're voting for that person. Please don't vote just because the person's Democrat, because I can tell you, I know some pretty sorry candidates that I would not vote for as a, as a Democrat. And um, please don't tell me you're voting as a Republican because your granddaddy was a Republican and that's the way everybody in your house has always voted. I have heard both of those lines used on me. You know, uh, it is time for a new paradigm when it comes to voting. And, you know, I'm one of the people that are looking at the empowerment model. So we're not looking at Democrat. We're not looking at Republican. We're simply looking at our agenda. So when I ran for the city, uh, when I ran for the school board, it was interesting because the people that I met didn't necessarily want to know what my platform was. They said, what are you going to do for me? Are you going to meet my agenda? And so one of the, the most incredible moments is when I sat down with the Virginia Beach Educational Association and they asked me, do you know what our legislative agenda is? Because if you don't line up in totality with our legislative agenda, you're wasting your time, son, you know, because they vote and they support on agenda and we're still kind of wrapped up in this Democrat or Republican thing. You know, yeah. I, I sat down with somebody the other day and I said, it doesn't matter. And this is going to offend a lot of people. This is going to offend a lot of people. Uh, um, Reverend Wendy, you might want to start praying for me. <laughs> All right, let's but see. <laughs> if President Trump is in the office in 2021 or if Joe Biden is in the office in 2021, our agenda will not be met unless we push it upon whoever's in the office. And at this point, neither one of them have really given a lot of support with some of our agenda items. So I'm wondering if we should pull the power move and vote down ballot. And for me, I'm sorry, it's not a wonder. There are about 20,000 people like me who are saying, this is our agenda. And if you don't support our agenda on the top level, we ain't rocking with you. That's one reason a lot of us kind of pushed back on uh, Kamala Harris. That's one right. reason that a lot of us pushed back on uh, Brother Yang. And we like Yang, but he 
he wasn't on agenda. He wasn't on code. So we couldn't rock with him. A lot of us are not supporting Biden because he's not on agenda. He's not on code. He says some crazy things. And we, our agenda is not anybody but Trump. Our agenda is our agenda, our empowerment. And if you're not rocking with that, we're not rocking with you. So uh, I'll accept your prayers. <laughs> you might be beyond redemption. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying, brother. And, you know, one of the things that I can say, honestly, that drew me to the Andrew Yang campaign, because I'm someone who is not led by party either. I'm led by message. I'm led by vision. I'm I'm led by your, your idealism. And for me, um, Andrew Yang's platform spoke to me from a standpoint of this overriding message that it's not right, it's not left, it's forward. And so what he was talking about was, was implementing ideas that transcended party. And because of that, my experience on the trail uh, found me talking to uh, as many Republicans in the audience as there were Democrats who, you know, folks who were just saying, you know, from all walks of life who were saying, we're tired of the status quo. We're tired of politicians. We're tired of folks coming out here at four years, making promises that they're not going to keep. You seem like a regular dude. You seem like you're honest and you're genuine. You know, he would say it a thousand times on the trail. I did not wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm going to run for president because I'm not insane. You know, he knew what that was going to require. Anybody that wants to run for the presidency of the United States needs to understand the weight of what they are stepping into and what kind of process um, that requires of you as an individual, sacrificing, you know, your family. Andrew Yang has a wife and two two young boys, one of who is autistic. He had to leave them at home. You know, she certainly, you know, gave him, you know, her her blessing to run but what i what i saw in him was someone who was genuinely setting out to hear from everyone and and provide solutions not just empty rhetoric not just the same old you know um ragtag bag of solutions and and, and buzzwords and, and and political campaign speak to get people you know interested in what you were doing but we also knew that we were unknown you know what i'm saying he started two years out because he knew he had to establish himself and, you know, and, and establish a name. And he was running up against, you know, sitting senators, House of Representatives folks, uh, a former vice president. So we knew we had, you know, a, a lot of, of work to, to, to be done just to get people to know his name. And just because he didn't win and he has since suspended his campaign, we do feel like we won because everybody knows his name now. Two years ago, they didn't know who he was. They know who he is now. But that being said, that's that the truth. Said, I, I, I will say that that my experience on the trail too, just talking from a recent one, there there is a lot of excitement. What I feel like where I'm at is I wish, like you said, Seiko, that people were much more informed voters than they were emotional voters. And that's what I think we I agree. I agree. I think I mean, the people want to be strokes and they want to be you know they want to feel good they want you to tell them what they want you know what you want what they want to hear and if you don't do all that if you don't get them all emotionally worked up then they're not that that's not they're not going to be moved to vote well, we're we're in an entertainment age not an information age unfortunately when it comes to politics and, well that's that's the and so are we expecting the same are we expecting the same experience with politicians that we're expecting from pastors? 
You know, because if um, the pastor's not delivering the message, we ain't coming to church. Uh, well, so if the politician's not delivering the message, we're not showing up. Is that what's happening? Listen, it's not even about the pastor delivering a message. If the choir ain't hitting right, we ain't coming to church. You understand what I'm saying? Because we right. we operate as human beings. We respond, you know, from an emotional perspective. And you can, you know, you can hear people come to church and they'll come out and say, oh, my goodness, that church was the bomb. You know, that choir was rocking. I'd be like, oh, OK, well, what was the message? I don't know. But the, the choir was, you know, was going. Yes. So my question is. What are you going to church for then? Or then you must not be going to be informed. And unfortunately, our political process does parallel that in that people are not looking for information. They're looking to be entertained. And that's why we, you know, are able, you know, and I, I, I say this personally, I don't, I don't mean to get political, but, you know, the person we have in office right now is a reality TV star. You understand what I'm saying? There was an entertainment element to him that gave him a sort of an advantage in terms of, a mind awareness, top mind of awareness for people. Folks who don't pay attention, like we were saying earlier, to anybody's platform or what they're saying, but they, they saw an, a, a name that rang a bell, and so they just went and, and pushed the lever. You know, Kanye nice. threw his name in there for some reason. That's a whole nother show. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you have people, my social media was blowing up with people talking about, oh, if Yeezy's in, like they didn't, he didn't put forward a platform. He hadn't said yet what he was representing. He didn't even say whether he was going to be, you know, Republican or Democrat. Last time I saw him, he had a, a, a MAGA hat on, which is fine. But how are you going to decide <laughs> to put more support and your vote behind somebody? And he hasn't named not one policy stance for you. How do you even know that you're in agreement with him? I mean, this is where it's scary. So you're right. What's in it for me? So I don't want people to vote candidate just because they're black. I really was offended throughout the Obama campaign when people go, oh, you voted for Obama because he's a black man. No, I voted for Obama because he actually had a platform and that I could deal with and I really liked. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you this. There was at least... Five black people who said, oh, girl, I vote for first time. I vote for Obama. And I had to ask them why. Oh, because he's a black man. Okay, that's not good enough these days. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough. You know, don't, and, and this is the other part. You had you hit the nail on the head. This is not an entertainment game. This is our lives. Exactly. that. I'm looking at, okay, so Joe Biden, I understand why he has not released who his vice president is. Because you got people going, oh, you got to be a woman and it got to be a black woman. Stop. Stop. Okay? I'm going to tell you something. Reality check. I think Kamala Harris is the bomb. She is like the most awesome as far as who she represents in California. But let me ask you a question. Does her politics work here in Virginia? No. Um, You talk to most Democrats, they go, yeah, she's really good as a senator. But what do you know about her? What do you know about her? Look, they need to stop comparing what a candidate should look like based on color or gender, gender, but compare them based on what they have really done for our country. 
what they are, where they stand when it comes down to how do we move forward after going back 40 or 50 years with the crap that we've had to deal with in the last four years. The fact that it still doesn't get, the fact that even if you put a black woman on the ballot, it's still not going to elevate black people to get up and just vote because Kamala Harris is on the ballot. I'm going to tell you something. You know what bothered me the most about politics is if you look up the word politic, what does it mean in Latin? All okay. right. I All am right. a public servant. Mm-hmm. And when people start telling me, like you said, Seiko, what my agenda should be, let me ask them a question. So Medicare for all. Big topic on the plate. If you're really seriously a liberal and that's what you're that's what you're going after, you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, Medicare for all, they fight for it. But this is the problem. If you're in a district and the district is leaning more Republican and conservative, Medicare for all, even with most Democrats, won't fly because most Democrats can't understand who's going to pay for it and how do I get it? It's always the two questions. Who's going to pay for it and how would I get it? And, and those are excellent questions. Who's going to pay for it and how can I get it? Because it's interesting to me that we have a lot of people who want a whole bunch of free stuff. <laughs> we have a lot. And it, it seems that in many cases, our politics have come down oh, to. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. She's back. <laughs> She's back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, but, the illustrious just... Vanjie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I got so revved up, I killed the internet. Um, The fact that we live in an age where I can walk up to any black person and say, have you registered to vote? And do you know who's going to be on the ballot? Do you know how many people don't have any clue who Mark Warner is right now? He's been in office for how many years now? We are not educating our community. And by not educating our community, we are failing our own community. The fact that most, okay, wait, watch this. Hey, Vanjie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm running for Congress. Can I count on you to support the campaign? Can you donate $5? Girl, I know the federal government gives you money. No, they don't give you money to run for Congress or any office. You have to raise that money. Campaigning is probably 60% fundraising and 40% talking to the public. And that right there is the biggest problem of them all. Let's do this. Let us campaign 80% of the time and fundraise 20% of the time so that we can focus on the issues that we are running on and not focus on every second of the day trying to raise money so that we can run against the big boys who have been there, oh, I'm saying, let me change that neighbor. Let me change that. The good old boys from being in office all the time. 
we can't do anything if we don't change campaign refund uh, campaign finance laws so that people who look like me and y'all can get a seat at the table. I shouldn't have to buy my way there. Well, I mm, wanted you should. Uh, you know, one of the things that you said uh, regarding um, people making assumptions about where their political support should be or not be, you know, similarly, um, my support of Andrew Yang came under question many times when people said, you know, you're a black woman, you know, Kamala Harris is running, Cory Booker's running, you know, I think Deval Patrick threw his name in there at one point. So people were saying, you know, you've got all these black candidates who are running, why are you supporting Yang? You know, this person is unknown and, you know, untested. And again, I had to, you know, remind them that for me, it's about mission. It's about their policies. It's about what resonates with me and what I feel connected to in a particular platform. It's not about simply um, how a person looks, their gender, their identity, or, or any of that. We do need to teach our community, but we also need to uh, inspire and inform our community, but we also need to be mindful that we cannot make anybody do their research. Unfortunately, we can, you know, we cannot force anybody to care enough about the political process to actually go and vote. Now, that being said, again, on the campaign trail, you mentioned Bernie Sanders. Now, many of us saw the legendary sizes of the crowds at Bernie Sanders rally. OK, if, if if couldn't nobody else pull a rally together, Bernie was subject to have 20, 30,000 easy, it, you know, whether in New York, Iowa, California or, or, you know, Nebraska. There was going to be just, you know, legions of people waiting, standing and young people. He had a tremendous yeah. impact on young people. And I'm talking about black ones, too. You know, yeah. that. That's, of course, what we also have to do. We have to engage our young people. So there was something about Bernie's message that was, you know, resonating enough with these young people to get them out the door. And, you know, some might say it was the promise of free stuff. Whatever it was, whatever it was, (laughs) it got them out the door. It got them standing in line to, you know, uh, 24 hours before the man was supposed to show up. It got them knocking on doors. It got them canvassing. It got it, it spoke to them. And they were out there and, you know, they'd be in tears and 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 they'd be, you know, ready to argue you down. You run into them on the campaign trail and and they they could, you know, they could rattle off his policies. Like boom, 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 boom. You know, we'd stand exactly. out there, conversations back and forth. They knew it backwards and forwards. But when it came time to go to the polls, the uh, youth vote. The 18 to 29 vote that I'm talking about in the in the primaries this year was at 13 percent. That that's one percent higher than the lowest, you know, percentage that it's been. So what Mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out is where did all that passion go? Where does it go? Where does it disappear between the rally and and the poll and and the election day? Because that's the connection that needs to be made. You know, older people, you know, who who have maybe a vested interest because we've had and felt some of the impacts that have happened in our lives. And maybe we we feel like this is maybe one of our only avenues to get those things addressed. We're going to go to the polls. But these young people are like, I ain't trying. That's the old folks. I'm not trying to go 
in line for six hours. You've seen some of these polls with the way that polling stations have been closed and, and things like that. Some folks are standing outside six, seven hours. Young people are not trying to do that. Their attention spans are not long enough to do that. So what we also, I think, need to talk about in terms of getting more Black involvement in particular is innovating our voting practices. We need to update them to the 21st century. We may have to take these polling places to where people are rather than just sitting and waiting on them to come. That's kind of the strategy I've even talked about about the church. The church needs to innovate or we're going to die. People's religious you know, practices have changed. Their approaches to church have changed. We are in the 21st century. So you need to be online. You need to be streaming. You maybe need to be going out into the community and hosting you know, church meetings. Jesus didn't go to church. Now, I'm not going to preach this evening, but Jesus never sat in a church service. <laughs> Jesus held church by the, by the, you know, by the beach side, by the water where he was feeding the 5,000. There's no place in the Bible where you will see Jesus was sitting in church except when he was young and coming up and sitting underneath the, the, the teachers so that he could learn. So the church has to innovate or die. The political process needs to, you know, to innovate or die. Why are we not taking, why don't we have some certified electoral polling stations that are mobile that can go into some of these remote black communities Thank where you. folks can't get up and get out to the polls because they're, they're not, their closest polling station closed. So can we take a mobile poll and set it up like on the corner of the neighborhood so grandma and them can just walk up to this uh, van and, and cast their ballot as opposed to expecting them to now try to find a ride 25 miles across town because they, their, well, their district has been you know, gerrymandered and there's no place for them to go vote. We got to think bigger if we want better, better participation. Well, what's interesting is you just talked about strategies that will help grandma and them, mm -hmm. but the group who didn't show up were those able-bodied young people. Well, and that's, well, that's still a problem I, I, in, in, I, I, in, in I, I, this I, I, region, um, Seiko. Campuses. I'm talking about this mobile. We can take it to the people we want to get. We might have to go to them as well. Wherever they are, we might need to go to them. That's all I'm saying. Well, my, my thought is there's a complacency yep. that has settled within our community. Mm -hmm. So we have the leave it to Jesus complacency. All right. We expect somebody to come down and do something for us that we can do for ourselves. So a lot of the young people who are like, yeah, free college. Yeah. No student loan. I want to sit back and let you handle that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's and a they're doing the same thing. That's the same level of complacency when I, you know, that's why I've had discussions and I've gotten a lot of heat. So uh, Reverend Wendy, you might have to pray for me again. Oh, <laughs> you might want to get your anointing oil ready. Yeah, but, uh, I, I think we've I might had get some olive oil over here out my uh, cabinet. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we've had more progress within the last twenty months than we've had with twenty years of our people even being in politics and in the political system. You know, uh, you know, salute, and we give thanks to. Um, John Lewis for everything that he did during the civil rights marches and on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and some of the other things that he did. But when he got into Congress, he was just a congressman. He stopped helping us in general. He helped America possibly, but he stopped helping us in general. 
and we've had some issues in our community that have been unsolved. The church hasn't solved it. The politics haven't solved it. The educational system haven't solved it. And that's why a lot of the younger people are saying, oh, when you show me something that works, I'll work with it. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna pull up an example um, of the level of, um, I think, look. So, I'm living here in Virginia. All right, so. I put this post up and got a lot of heat from it. I got a lot of heat from it. You know, you know, Representative Elaine Laurie and Scott Taylor, we're watching, earn our support, compel justice for Breonna Taylor. Use your platform, your voices, your connections. We're watching. Be on the right side of America or be on the wrong side of history. And that's what we're looking for. We're waiting for people to step up and say, we're going to fix some problems. One of the things you learn in theology school and in leadership programs is you don't have to have the position to act like the leader. So you can start solving some of the problems without being in the seat. So if President, uh, you know, uh, former Vice President Biden wants to lead, he can start leading and solving problems right now, even before he's in the seat. And that will show people, okay, he's about it. He's about it, about it. He's going to do something. But we see problems that have gone unsolved for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Why do we want to come out and vote when we see these problems have been longstanding? And voting has been around ever since. These problems have been around. That's what I think is happening with our young people. Well, again, I, and, you know, I, I, I'll pray for you. You know, we can <laughs> we can respectfully, you know, agree to disagree without being disagreeable. But I hear you, brother, and I, I feel your passion. But again, um, I want to go back, like I was saying to to Andrew Yang, because that was my my most recent experience. And one of the things that I liked about him was that he was motivated by a vision to run, particularly on on what's known as universal basic income which would, you know, give $1,000 a month to every American as a floor, as an economic floor to stand on to help begin to stabilize, um, particularly the economic collapse that we're now seeing. He was predicting one happening later on in the future. It's happening right now. And that's why they're trying to come up with stimulus checks. And these, you know, these monies would help, you know, everyone. And so what I liked about that was he was presenting solutions. As I said earlier, he was trying to come up with something tangible not just your everyday promise of when we get in there, we'll give you uh, fifteen, you know, dollars an hour. We'll get it. We'll give you the federal federal jobs guarantee. You know, making all of these empty promises that they've been making, as you said, they go for the last forty years and haven't been able to deliver on. And so, I think what this also exposes, though, for us is is there a role for us? What is our role then in helping to assist these things to come to pass? I don't you know, want to be cliche-ish in terms of the be the change that you want to see in the world. But at the same time, what we have to ask is our role and our responsibility, because if we're simply, like you said, sitting back with the savior complex, which I would agree some people, you know, are are expecting some savior to just come along and fix everything and take care of everything some and make people. everything better. But at the same time, that, that the, the savior has already risen. And he told you, you know, the earth is yours, the fullness thereof. This thing is on you. They were the disciples were trying to get him to stay and and, and not leave them. And he said, no, I'm, I was only designed to be here for a minute to show you what to do. You know, while you're on the earth, my purpose is to come and to go. So I've got to go 
and I've, I've, I've laid before you an example in these three years of ministry that I've been on the earth in, in showing you what needs to be done, how to challenge those in power, how to speak truth to power, how to look out for the oppressed, how to treat your love, your neighbor as yourself. I mean, all those things were laid out and folks are still looking for that kind of direction when it's already been provided. So I think it's a, I think it's a two way street um, in this um, approach, Seiko, that it's not just about looking outside of ourselves to get our needs met, but it is saying to ourselves, what role do I play in meeting my needs so that I don't become dependent on somebody outside of me meeting those needs. So this is a conversation that is really important because, okay, so one of the things that I've heard over the last three years that has really bothered me is, okay, like I said, as a candidate, I'm typically the only black person or black woman in the room. You might have two or three. That is unacceptable. What is really interesting when I do go to black communities and I'm like, why aren't you participating in your local committees? Why aren't you a member of the NAACP? Why aren't you just coming out to the meet and greet? The interesting comment I get in most points are, I'm tired of white folks talking for me or telling me how I should feel or telling me what I'm supposed to believe as far as what's going on in my community. It was interesting. So after George Floyd was shot, I had to step back and I I didn't go to the pro the, the Black Lives Matter protest because of what was going on, you know, with my daughter. But I was getting those calls. And what really intrigued me was they were saying the same things even about the Black Lives Matter protests. Why is it so many people who look like me fighting for issues that are my issue and telling me how angry I should be. I'm going to tell you what that anger should have been. The anger should have been, we need to get our butts to the polls. We need to make sure all of our neighbors are registered to vote. We need to have, even if you don't want to go to those political committees, you should be having meet and greets at your house and on Zoom with the political candidates that are on your ballot because we all will stop and have a chit chat with you and explain our platform and understand i want i'm going to get deep on you here just because somebody tells you they believe in fighting for this or that that's not good enough ask them what their platform is what are they going to capitol hill to do what initiatives are they going to bring to fight for our community? And more, more important, get behind the candidate who you support. When I say get behind them, put your money behind them, put your voice behind them, go to church and talk about them, go to the grocery store and talk about them. But the problem is we aren't doing that. We're expecting the other man to do it. And when the other man does it, they complain or we complain. It's just like I said, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still in, in Seiko. We had this conversation about Black Lives Matter and uh, Antifa and all these groups that popped up. You know what the most important group is? Just being a black person in America. I don't need a group to tell me that I'm black. I'm black every day. 
I look in the mirror. I'm still a black woman. How many groups tell me that my life, it doesn't make sense to me. Let me suggest. So I'm sorry, I don't mean to inter- Let me suggest one thing real quick because I don't want it to leave my mind. I'm old and it might leave. Um, <laughs> one of the ways I honestly believe that we can begin to engage more black people, more young people uh, in the political process is to build relationships in the community before the election. Part of the reason that folks don't want to vote and they don't want to come out is because they don't see your face anywhere in the community until it's time to vote, until it's time to raise money. And so there's no trust built there. That's a trust issue. I want to see you. The reason why Marion Barry was the mayor for life here in D.C. despite... He was everywhere. That he did. It didn't matter. Because everywhere. every single year for the last 20 odd years before his death was over here in Southeast Ward 8 passing out turkeys on Thanksgiving morning to, to, to families who could not afford them. Mm-hmm. And Marion Barry initiated the Youth Summer Jobs Program here in D.C. that still is in existence that employed young men off of the streets. And, and that was a legacy of his. And he was doing that when he was in office, when he was out of office, before he got to office. And so if we really are serious about wanting your vote, you have to earn trust. Vote is it, it is tantamount, exactly. and so if I don't trust, we don't trust politicians when they want to do the black church tour every election year, and they want to show Thank up you. in the pulpit and they want to, you. you know, ask for the vote. Where were you, you know, last uh, Martin Luther King holiday or whatever? And so I think at the end of the day, a lot of young people and even black people are saying, don't just ask for our vote, earn it, earn it, earn it. And that's where I think where we are now is, so I've had people say, well, you're not on the ballot. You can become our civil rights leader. I don't want that job. Nobody asked to be a civil rights leader. It happens. It doesn't happen because I want to be it. I'm going to tell you what I want to be. I want to be here for my community. So I'm still here for my, com- for my community. And I'm going to tell you what's really bothering me today is, okay, here I am, a black woman, trying to motivate people to register to vote and get on the ballot and run for office. And I'm telling people, if you're tired of what's happening in your neighborhood, run for a board seat, run for a school board seat, run for a court county supervisor, Run for delegate, run for something, because there are plenty of positions throughout Virginia that we need to have someone in who cares about our community. And it doesn't mean it has to be a black person, but it has to be somebody who understands what's going on in the community. The fact that I'll give you a great example. And and we talked about this off air. Okay, my car broke down. Not one police officer, and there were three who went past my car, stopped, 
on a 95 degree day and I'm sitting in the car on the side of the road with my hazards on, my arm hanging out, drinking my Slurpee. You know, I had to have a Slurpee. But my husband pulled over, put his hazards on and had to take an emergency phone call from his job. Police officer, first one that pulled up, got out of his car and asked him for his license and registration. How do you make change? You want to change? Vote for sheriffs who understand stopping black people just because they have their hazards on is not appropriate. It's not appropriate. So we need people in office who understand, treat everybody fair. Treat whether it's a white blonde haired lady or a black lady with brown hair. Get out and treat people fairly. For a board of supervisors, let me tell you something. All politics start local. All politics start local. So those board of supervisor seats are what gets you money for your education, your educational programs. Those board of those board of supervisor seats pass the laws and the ordinances so that you can put businesses in the community, so you can start your business, so that you know what you can do in your community. Run for those seats. School of board of education. Don't complain. Don't complain about your kids' school if you aren't at those school board meetings because they discuss everything from A to Z. This is our opportunity. I keep saying, get involved in your community because your community is your community. I come to communities, and I'm gonna tell you something. It's really funny. I've gone to all black communities, and they go, "Oh, you don't need to come here. We're all gonna vote for you." No, you aren't. Um, you might, but your two neighbors on the side of you probably aren't because they aren't engaged. I want to know that people understand why they got to get involved. Um, I actually have a bumper sticker somewhere in my office, and it says, Black Votes Matter. Because one of the biggest myths, and y'all know it, is my vote don't count. Or my favorite if I register to vote, I'm going to get jury duty. What's wrong with that? That's your civil duty. But guess what? You don't get jury duty from registering the vote. You get jury duty from getting your county state ID. If you get a state ID, whether it's D.C. or the other states, you are automatically registered in the pool to serve on a jury. Am I lying? So don't use the excuse, if I register to vote, I won't, I'll get jury duty. Guess what? I've been registered to vote since I was 18. I've only got jury duty in the two places that I hadn't even had a chance to register to vote. And that was what triggered me to ask. I asked the electoral board, when I register to vote, are you putting me in a special pool? She was like, no, no. We go by people who get their IDs. And that's when I found out that most black folks, mm-hmm, telling on y'all now, most black folks actually don't have licenses when they're driving. You mm-hmm. said most? Most? Most. Most people who right. have never served on a jury, they don't have a viable identification. You know these people. These are the same people who don't have any credit cards, pay for everything in cash, don't have a bank account because 
they don't have an ID. And I grew up with a lot of people in D.C. and in and, and, and Maryland who you find out they don't have their license at the wrong time. Like when the police car is behind you and the policeman's walking up and they go, oh, girl, I'm in trouble. I went, why are your license suspended? You don't got to get one first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Riding dirty. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's uh, not it, things that are, you know, that kind of hinder people from getting IDs and that too. So I do want to kind of put that out there. That's true too. There, you know, having a world of documents. You know, they, you might have, you know, so folks have a, a, a small misdemeanor, you know, issue that they're trying, you know, a, a fine that they're trying to get paid that they're not, you know, in a position to pay. So there, there may be reasons sometimes that people, you know, find themselves in a position where they well, aren't you know, with, with the proper IDs and that. So I, I, I do want to put that in today. In Virginia, we just changed the laws. This is what happens when black people vote because black people came out to vote in 2019 and we voted for the most diverse the most diverse Virginia legislator um, body that we've ever had. Our body looks like, it looks like the world. We have Asian, Muslim, um, black, white, um, um, transgender, LBGT. We are representing. We have, we are representing. And it was because people came out to vote in 2019. And I'm going to tell you why they came out in such droves. They were tired. And being tired creates that atmosphere of I got to do something. But the thing that got me was because they came out and voted, this is where people need to really listen. Because they came out and voted, not only did their vote count towards candidates who understood all of our communities, regardless of which community they were in, they changed laws. And one of the most important laws is you no longer can lose, lose your license for not paying a fine. That was critical because I can tell you here in King George, if you don't have a car, you don't get around anywhere. That changed a lot of people's lives because people who are driving around with suspended licenses I knew a friend of mine, I tell you, I, she was a neighbor. I, I have never seen anyone go to jail so many times for driving on a suspended license because she had a fine from five years ago. So this is what your vote counts on. So we got six minutes left on the call. Um, wow, that hour went. <laughs> Man, God, I tell you, these hours go faster and faster. So. Last thoughts, please register to vote. Learn who your candidates are. Be a part of the process, not just watching it. And don't watch the version. Go to the live version. Go to the Zoom calls. Go to the committee meetings that are on Zoom. You don't even have to say anything. Just go. Go to the local NAACP meetings to find out where you can help in the process. Although they're nonpartisan, I can tell you they will help you, your friends, if you have you know somebody who's having problems registering to vote. But we gotta be active. We can't we cannot sit in the back of the room. We need to have a seat at the table so we can eat and drink fresh made lemonade 
and make a difference. And I can tell you, I think Wendy and Seiko, I think y'all agree. We got to make a difference. Um, we can't we can't lose the 50 years that we gained traction on from the civil rights movement. We need to make sure we have a collective body of people who understand our rights, but it starts with people at home. Okay, okay. Uh, Reverend Wendy, with your permission, I would like to let the woman have the last word, so I would like for you to go last. But that sounds kind of contradictory, so I wanted to make sure it was okay with you. It's perfectly fine because the last shall be first and the first shall be... No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, my my last thoughts are we definitely need to be more involved politically, but it's not simply thinking that our vote is the only thing that counts because no matter who's in the White House, we need to put a knife to their neck and make sure they follow our agenda. All right. No matter who's in the state house, no matter who's in the courthouse, we need to make sure that we influence the right type and right amount of influence to make sure that our agenda is met. So I say to those who say I'm not going to vote. OK, still register to vote because not voting when you register does say something. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote, but I'm saying if you're one of the people who say I ain't voting. Cool. I still, we still, we still need you to register. All right. And if you're blue, if you're blue, no matter who, ask your blue folk what their positions are in our agenda. If you're red, enough said, ask your redheads what their positions are in our agenda. And if you find that your blue heads, your red heads don't support your agenda, an agenda that empowers you, an agenda that helps you out, an agenda that rights the wrong for centuries, why are you rocking with them? My thoughts. Uh, so I want everybody involved. And if you cannot vote, if you cannot vote, I still need you in those Zooms. I still need you at those meetings. And I need you to say, I cannot vote right now. What are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me and people like me? And if they have nothing to say, you need to turn around to the audience and say, we can't support this person because they're not looking out for the entirety of the community. Uh, my last words. And now I, uh, I give the, uh, <laughs> the pulpit back to, uh, Reverend Wendy. <laughs> I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> thank you so much. You know, all I have to say in this uh, last minute before we wrap up again is thank you all for the invitation. I simply want to share the message to those who are watching that um, I, I hope you walk away from this understanding that your vote is your voice. Your vote is your voice. And if you truly do want your voice heard, it can be communicated in the way that you vote. One step that is important before doing that, however, is finding your voice. You know, Seiko talks about empowerment. We want you to also be informed. What are the issues that are important to you? Yes, there are collective issues that are very important to the community, but what moves you individually? Because that is ultimately what's going to inspire you to go out and to make a change. Vote so your voice is on the record and that you have an opportunity to hold those folks accountable when they don't do what they said they were going to do. 
All right. Well, this was our inaugural. Oh, we had a comment. Let me uh, take the comment very quickly. This was our, okay, Cheryl T. Cooley says, thank you for this conversation. All right. Salute Cheryl. She's kind of cute. Go ahead. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> hey, uh, this was the inaugural well, session. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Every it's awesome to be out here with This was the inaugural version of, oh man, what do we call this? Beyond Higher Heights with Vanjie Williams. So, uh, Vanjie, when you gave the title Beyond Higher Heights, what prompted you? And we can end with that. I'm going to tell you why. We as a people, we as Americans, and, and I mean this sincerely, have the opportunity to reach a new level of understanding in our government, in our community, in our families, in our churches, and in our employment. Because until we break those glass ceilings that hold each one of us back, we can't go higher. So beyond higher heights is, you know, I'm, I'm at the pinnacle of my, of my career, am I? I'm, I'm reaching for higher, higher, higher clouds, higher heights, because there is so much I want to do and so much I want to do to help people. Whether I'm in office or just a person on the street, like, like you said, Wendy, I am fighting for our community in ways that, you know, making sure my voice is heard as loud as I can make it, but doing it so that we all are lifted. Because nobody wants a hand out. They want a hand up so that all of us can be pulled to the same level. And this is why it's so important to me to make sure that, like you said, our voices are heard. They are heard in a way that they're not screaming, but they're patiently saying, we're not going to wait forever. We're going to do what we need to do so that we can get that seat. Again, that seat at the table and we can eat. And we can live in homes. Um, it goes to everything from housing to education, transportation, innovation, and retirement, making sure that, that we have those opportunities. And I'm sorry, a lot of people in the African-American community and the Hispanic community, we never, ever see that realization. And it shouldn't be some of us. It should be all of us. And until all of us are at that higher height, I want to keep fighting. So higher heights and beyond. All right. Hey, this was our first episode of Beyond Higher Heights with Vanjie Williams. This was a phenomenal show. We want to say salute and thanks to Reverend Wendy and all her blessings and palm oil that she poured on me. I just slipped on the floor with all this oil. <laughs> well, if you had acted right during the show, I wouldn't have had to do all of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, Vanjie, thank you for all that you're doing for uh, our people. Thank you for all you're doing for our state. Thank you for everything you're doing for our country. And we thank you. So take care. Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>